Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz podcast hosted on Revenge of the Birds. Uh, I'm your co-host, Blake Murphy, here with my fellow co-host, John Venerable, as always. Uh, John, we didn't seem like we were going to have much of a positive thing to talk about for the Cardinals through the first three quarters of the game on Sunday night. And the fourth quarter rolled around, and you know what? We have a Cardinals win to talk about. We've got some rumors as far as with trading that were confirmed over the week. We've got a new offensive coordinator with a great game plan in Byron Leftwich, and we've got a Josh Rosen comeback, youngest quarterback to ever lead his team back by, I believe it was 12 points or so. It's going those two touchdowns. In the fourth quarter, only two other players who have done it, Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson, this side of the Super Bowl era. Uh, John, where do we even begin with this game? Let's talk a little bit about just with the Cardinals and the fact that, you know, we were kind of going and expecting 1-15, and and now we're looking at a, uh, you know, a 2-16 and that, you know, has got a little bit of a, a little bit of positive to look on going into the bye week. Yeah, they needed this win, uh, that's for sure. Uh, and I expected them to to play well. I didn't expect them to win just based off of how San Francisco showed almost beating Green Bay in Lambeau on uh, Monday Night Football. Uh, I thought they'd have their way with the Cardinals offensively. I did think the Cardinals would play better offensively under Byron Leftwich, and they did. They they had over 300 yards for the first time this season. As sad as that is, it's, it's still an accomplishment for this team. And Rosen played uh, subpar football through three quarters like rookies can do uh but again shined in the in the fourth quarter had two touchdown passes one to larry fitzgerald and one to christian kirk who is becoming probably his favorite target uh and we'll talk about you know their connection moving forward but it was a win that i think the cardinals needed to have the momentum that they would carry on to through the bye uh you're going to have now two weeks to prepare for a very potent kansas city chief team uh, and then after that, a winnable game at home against the Oakland Raiders. But, you know, back to this game, I thought initially this was going to be the kind of contest that would, I don't know, I don't want to say it would define the second half of your season, but, you know, you flip offensive coordinators, finally parting ways with Mike McCoy, you elevate Byron Left, which who uh, we heard all week um, is a, you know, a direct, uh, you know, mentee of Bruce Arians and to have him come in and, you know, get a victory in his first uh, start as the OC, I think means a lot to this franchise uh, because it really gives them an opportunity to decide whether or not he's going to be the guy next year. If Steve Wilkes is going to be the uh, the head coach, you would assume that would be a much in part to how Byron left, which coaches in the second half, because I think if the Cardinals can stay competitive in the majority of their games in the second half, no matter the outcome, uh, I think both can keep their jobs. Uh, and so, 
again, pairing Rosen with somebody like Leftwich, uh, you know, could bode well for the second half. But again, I want to temper everybody's expectations as well because you're dealing with the San Francisco team who's one in six coming in into today or into the game, uh, was 0-4 on the road this season. And as crazy as it sounds, this was the eighth straight victory that the Cardinals posted against the San Francisco 49ers dating back to December of 2014, Jim Harbaugh's last game as an NFL coach. They clipped off the Arizona Cardinals with uh, Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles, uh, essentially resting players in that week 17 matchup. And so now you, you look at a Cardinal team, a little bit of momentum, uh, didn't play very well uh, offensively throughout three quarters, but the defense was kind of the, the bright spot. I think the underlined headline in this game, Rosen gets all the pub and, and rightfully so we'll touch on his individual performance but it was of cardinal defense finally showing up uh, to some degree against the run uh and whether that you want to deem that you know part of the niners you know lack of talent if you want to talk about the increased usage of Dayon buchanan defensively the, the the san francisco 49ers only had 107 yards rushing under four yards of carry uh and matt bretta 16 for 42, 2.6 yards per carry. The Cardinals did a very nice job defensively in this game, kept the, their team in this game. This is kind of how I envisioned the Cardinals winning games before the season. I thought the defense would eventually play well uh, with a defensive head coach, and then Rosen would make just enough plays because he's a special player uh, to lead them to five, six victories. Uh, I didn't think it would take uh, until week seven to do that, week seven, week eight. But, but here we are, and it could be a, a recipe for success moving forward. I still think that they, they lack personnel specifically up front on the offensive line to have any kind of sustained success when you're talking about critical road games at Seattle, at Green Bay, at Kansas City in the second half of the season. Uh, but you did see an increase uh, in productivity in the Cardinal run game, 21 overall team carries for 88 yards, 4.2 yards per carry. Uh, and so do I think it could be a, a momentum shift for their season? We'll see. Again, the San Francisco 49ers are one of the worst teams uh, in the NFL based on record. But statistically, you know, I, I would put them, you know, above, uh, you know, the Buffaloes of the world, that kind of thing. So it's a positive, yes, but a very small step uh, in my view. Yeah, I would agree, John. It's a small step. And part of that's because they look so bad to the first three quarters. You're talking about an offensive line that was clearly not protecting Josh I even look at what the special teams was not really given the chance to make as many plays. There was penalties that you saw at least that backed them up where they had a safety at least that was there from a intentional grounding where, you know, in one case it's like, you know, it didn't seem like it was a smart play. On the other hand, you at least avoided, you know, a, a fumble for six at least on the play as well. It just was not in a good position. There was not as much uh, as far as being able to have – a performance that I think Rosen had uh, his quarterback rating was in the 40s for most of the day and then it suddenly shot up into the 120s once the fourth quarter hit him just even to even look at the game it was just you got to say it was going to be boring for the beginning with a punt a punt another punt uh, I think I had even joked ahead of the game kind of almost knowingly at least that the very first play that they would call <laughs> with Byron Leftwood to be a run up the middle that's basically what happened and then uh, a lot of fans are just like oh no here we go again but to be able to see over time as far as with the screen game getting David Johnson involved Larry Fitzgerald had 12 targets throughout the game where he before I think had been getting about three or four which was just getting him involved in a huge way just showed the instant impact of just taking like what should be very obvious and working that into a game plan where you kind of have your identity now that you didn't have previously if we're going to 
target Fitzgerald a lot. We're going to get David Johnson involved by not just having to run up the middle, but by trying to get him around the corner, by trying to get him, you know, off of right or left tackle, by seeing if they can create a bit more space to help him, you know, make guys miss. And then especially with the screen game and then being able to utilize Christian Kirk, whether it's on the outside or even in the end zone, which is, you know, and you've kind of can see with how Ricky Seals Jones is used on drag rights. You've kind of got the pieces together of the makings of a decent a decent offense not one that's going to be out there you know putting up 30 points a game not one that's going to be out there that's going to um, probably be at least successful uh, you'll be able to turn around I think some of the seasons that uh, Larry Fitzgerald's having maybe even David Johnson a bit as far as for you know some of the you got to see David Johnson's first 100 yard game from scrimmage I believe all season long uh, it just had the makings of you've got the ability to have success now there's enough around Rosen where you can actually be successful whereas under Mike McCoy there's always limiting factors where you just felt like it was you had to overcome it consistently and I think that was the biggest the biggest difference we got to see um, just taking a look even on that game winning drive there was still a lot they had to overcome at least overall like I'm, they had to go to third down I think for the 11 yard play to Larry Fitzgerald. I think there was a stat that the Cardinals are shrinking the amount of time that's been thrown. I think Rosen's been having about, uh, I think it's like 2.3 seconds to throw. Previously, he was having three seconds to throw under McCoy. Routes were taking longer, developing longer. Uh, he's, I believe, been getting sacked at least a bit less, it seems. But they're throwing further. They're throwing further than the sticks. There were so many times with Sam Bradford that you'd throw short of the sticks. Um, you even look to see a couple of leaping catches that Larry Fitzgerald maybe took over some of the game. Some of the play calls, I think that was the biggest thing that was most kind of astounding to me. Like on the last touchdown of the game, there was at least two guys who were wide open, maybe even a third. You talk about the screen pass that didn't work out to Chase Edmonds earlier on the drive where it was broken just because of pressure off of the right guard almost immediately where the screen was broken up before it could take off. Um, you look at least at how the, you know, just the – plays that they had at least with even with the uh, Ricky Seals Jones the drag route that they had in second down that brought it in from you know instead of making a third and long play they basically got enough time to create a lot of space that was part of what we saw from the offense and they have a drive down and get the win and that's a huge thing like you said to be able to build off of because now it's not just the team that has confidence at least in their quarterback quarterback has confidence in their coordinator coordinator has confidence everyone's got confidence they can develop a game plan the defense is confidence you get to see it where the momentum really shifted at least especially after that Buda Baker sack where you felt like the Cardinals if they had a chance to win the game they were going to be able to at least pull it off as long as they didn't mistake so I think that was encouraging overall uh, as far as that that is a bit offset as we were talking about by the performance the first three quarters John can you talk a little bit just about how poor it was where we were like thinking the Cardinals were going to need some type of big play on special teams or defense because the offense was just doing nothing and clearly Byron left which he's not a miracle worker maybe he's a fourth quarter worker in some cases like how Arians was but talk a little bit about the team like this is this going to be more of the evolution that we'll see week by week or is this going to be kind of a flash in the pan that you think of just kind of like you know the one type of kind of success story we might see from the Cardinals offense this season no, I think that there is hope with Leftwich, unlike McCoy, where they were getting almost progressively worse, uh, culminating in that embarrassment with Denver. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with, with at least with Byron Leftwich, you hope that, okay, every week they'll show an improvement in, in one specific area. And we've detailed it extensively, Blake. The second half of the season is daunting for the Cardinals in terms of the offenses that they're going to be f- facing. but the defensive personnel I don't think is is all that impressive. Kansas City's defense is below average. 
Oakland's defense is below average. The Green Bay Packers defense is, is average to below average. I don't think Detroit, week to week, you know what you're getting. The, they play the Falcons. I mean, you've got some opportunities to have some success. Now, most of those, if not all of them, aren't winnable because of, you know, the team defense that the Cardinals have played to this to this effect, even if the offense takes a step forward. But you hope that, okay, so they had two touchdowns in one quarter this week in the fourth quarter, won the game. Let's see if they can start fast for really the first time this season other than the Chicago game. If they're able to do that, continually build on things that you were not unable to do in the first eight games. And that's what you have to look at this now is kind of like baby steps. I don't want to dwell too much on the ineffectiveness of the Cardinals offensively within the first three quarters, because like you said, Byron left, which is not a miracle worker. He has the personnel that he has. You know, I would have loved to have seen him elevated to this position. Probably didn't warrant it because you think about if this team really thought they could win this year, which is crazy as that sounds now, they're not going to elevate Byron left, which after just, you know, really two coaching seasons and one of which he was a, an actual position coach in 2017. So, you know, he, it would have been nice to see him have a chance to maybe call plays in the preseason. But as you can see, his philosophy is different than Mike McCoy's. So it's kind of crazy that he was a holdover from the previous regime. And that was really just the respect I think that Kime and, and Michael Bidwell had for Bruce Arians and for them to say, okay, we clearly think we have something in this guy. Let's keep him on staff, see what he can do with Rosen. And so he'll emphasize the vertical passing game, emphasize the screen game. Really, we didn't even see under Bruce Arians. And then hopefully utilize David Johnson better than he had been, which is just you know easy by default compared to how he's being utilized with Mike McCoy. Uh, David Johnson, who I b- believe had 42 yards receiving in the first half alone. So uh, still not quite back as the runner he used to be, but in terms of all-purpose yards, yards from scrimmage, Um, a a definite step in the right direction. So back to my original point, I think if they can just somehow find a way to, okay, you know, this game we're going to go for 400 yards of offense or we're going to go for three passing touchdowns for Rosen or we're going to get David David Johnson 100 yards on the ground and we're going to find little nuances of this offense that works for us and we're going to make the most out of the person. That's what Bruce Aarons was great at. The Cardinal offenses in 2013 – 2014, 2016 specifically, and to some effect 2017, all kind of started out slowly. But by the end of the year, they were really humming under Bruce Arians because he would find what his team did well, and he would magnify that as the season went on. The Cardinals went on the road in 2016 and hung up 30-plus points at Seattle. Uh, That was not an offense that played particularly well to start the season against the New England Patriots. In 2013, they looked slow. They looked sluggish. They looked out of sync. Uh, and Bruce Arians' first year with the Cardinals. And by the end of the season, they were playing great football and putting up, I think it was 40-plus points against the Rams in the season finale. So, again, those were the the kind of things that the Arians teams did well. They got better as the season went on. Uh, I remember them going to Tennessee late in the year in Bruce's first season and putting up 40-plus points. I mean, I, I, I'm not expecting that kind of turnaround, especially when Leftwich has such you know few opportunities to implement his scheme. Uh, but hopefully he can build on the success that they had. And I think that that's why, again, had they lost that game, had the Niners been able to go down and kick a field goal and they would have lost in overtime, uh, you wouldn't obviously have this this feeling that you do now uh, because you're coming off of victory. And victory really kind of cures everything. I mean, here we are sitting 48 hours after this game takes place, and we're saying to ourselves, okay, well, maybe Steve Wilkes doesn't get fired. 
you know what I mean? If, if the defense can show a little something, maybe Dale Buchanan probably doesn't get traded and we're recorded on a Monday night in tomorrow's, you know, Tuesday trade deadline. I mean, it's amazing what winning a football game does for the motivation, the uptick of a, of a, of a team, of a city. You saw the passionate, you know, spike from Larry Fitzgerald uh, after the two point conversion. Um, so I think that the Cardinals can make progress, continue to find ways to get Christian Kirk the ball in space, to get David out, David Johnson out as a receiver, continue getting Josh Rosen some protection because frankly, protection is still not good enough. And we'll touch on that uh, in a minute, Blake. But I think that um, small victories, not actual victories, but small victories offensively will do wonders for this team. And maybe uh, that last quarter of the season, you could see them maybe get on a little bit of a roll. It's we could be sitting here in two weeks, and they could be they could regress. They could embarrass themselves like Kansas City, who mm-hmm. very well might be the best team in football outside of the LA Rams. But again, you're giving yourself some space now with the bye week coming up is just the right time, and uh, you can set your goals in place now as an offense and say, okay, clearly we have room to do better. Wasn't good enough. We found a way to make it work. Why did it work in the fourth quarter? The hurry-up offense, I think, is a big part of it. But again, um, you know, the Cardinals' personnel is what it is at this point, and so they're going to have to find a, the best the best way to make use of it. No, I totally agree. And I think it's interesting when you're also looking at um, just when you're talking about how the Cardinals, in a lot of ways, have to basically win again and learn how to win again. I think that's one thing that's kind of been a little bit lost on. A little bit lost in some of us in the fans with the new coach and new staff, the new scheme, especially after how just awful of an opening was. Like you were talking about tracking for a historically bad offense. And just being able to have to take a look at also part of it, I think, is it's still built around with that quarterback and the transition. You know, some people even wondered what the hits Josh was taking. They should, you know, pull him out of the games. They would put Glennon in just because you don't want to, like, you know, irreparably damage him. I didn't think that the hits were getting to that bad, and we were still having a chance, obviously, having a shot in the game after that touchdown drive. But, yeah, the, uh, in the first half you had a, I think it was a 12-play, 61-yard drive that ended in a field goal. And up until that point, that was, like, the longest – I think it was like the longest and arguably maybe one of the best drives that they had had of the season as far as for being able to have 12 plays and taking like, I think it was only six or seven minutes off the clock, which you're talking about that. That's still just like an average drive in the NFL ending in a field goal. It's not that great, but it just felt like it was like this, wow, like it felt like there was a change or a win that was there. That just shows you just how bad it has been. That's like the kind of the thing that's been hard of why we've had to go over this so many times is like where the Cardinals have been has been not good. Um, and you got, at least got to see a competitive football team for the first time in a while, I think, at least. And one that was able to keep the game close on defense, was able to go out and win it. And I think that really the, – the measurement, I think, also for the players, just the confidence to have Rosen come in and was even joked about after the game, say, hey, guys, we're blanking, going to go down and score a touchdown and win this game. And then to actually go out to execute, to do it, and then to be able to even then afterwards convert the two-point conversion, which I, I have to look at it, but I can't remember the last time that – the Cardinals like were in need of converting a two-point conversion and actually went and were able to do it. And then to see the emotion of Larry Fitzgerald, you know, like Larry's version of celebrating at least is like, you know, mixing in a scoop of, you know, real coffee in with a decaf, it seems like at times. But he went and just showed the emotion of spiking the football. You find the story about his son basically not wanting to go and see two one and six teams play football going to the state fair instead, which to be fair, as a 15-year-old, that might be something I would be tempted to do as well. All my friends are going to go to the state fair on a day. 
but it was just this kind of relief of being able to have kind of that, you know, that things were going to be all right, but you just felt like it wasn't like that the Cardinals were in a completely hopeless and terrible situation. And, you know, people talking about, you know, drafting or tanking or anything beside it, it was just this type of at least relief that the Cardinals at least were taking a step forward. You don't know how long a step is going to be again, like you said, with the regression. Um, the biggest thing that I also saw as a step forward as we shift our talk about was also with the defense. The defense in a way was probably the one that took the biggest step. They held the Niners to 107 yards rushing, which is still quite a bit. You only, I think, had about 4.2 yards for Matt Breida. Uh, you did have a big 26-yard gain to uh, Alfred Morris. You didn't really even force any turnovers for the most part. Even the last play of the game, at least, wasn't really a turnover overall. There were no interceptions. There weren't really – I believe there was no uh, fumbles lost. In fact, the Cardinals were the ones who ended up, I believe, losing the uh, – was a fumble. Or, excuse me, I think there was actually – yeah, there was one um, – forced fumble, I believe, at least, that Jermaine Gresham had that the Niners even picked up the Arizona had to overcome. But without having Trey Boston back there, they didn't trust Rudy Ford. They went to a true 4-3 defense, and sure enough, the running game, it just it didn't have the huge open gashes. It didn't have the huge holes. You got to see Kim Dietschy had a forced, uh, forced ball that he got his hand on. Rodney Gunter had a sack. And Dale Buchanan ended up being the second-ranked pro football-focused defender for the Cardinals in that game. John, is this going to be kind of maybe a advertising Buchanan if he's still popping up in the trade rumors? I believe Lock and Fora, who he's been right in the Peterson situation, is he still thinks that Buchanan is potentially a guy who could be traded at least the deadline? Is this kind of a move or a shift that we'll have with the four three? You think, or is this more of just a necessity with the Niners, the two running backs, and we think that Wilkes may be going back to the four three five, especially if he does dump Buchanan? Or is this the start of maybe the Cardinals are starting to figure this out as, as far as the run defense is concerned? I could it, honestly go in either way. It would not surprise me if they kept him uh, in an effort to be more competitive down the stretch. But I think that, you know, here's what I will say. I don't think that they'll essentially give him away like I thought maybe a week ago. I thought based on the fact that he was barely playing, if they could get a conditional pick for him, uh, depending on how much he would play for the team that drafts him, I think they would have taken that. But now at this point, you know, I think if they get, a sixth round pick, maybe they jump at that. Again, you got to think any team that acquires him will only get him for a half a season. Then he's going to hit the free agent market. Uh, and he's wanting to play. I mean, the Cardinals picked up his fifth year option because they thought he could play. And clearly he can still play as a competent starter. In my, I've always thought that. I've always thought Dayon is somebody that's, yes, he's not the innovator that people made him out to be in his early years. He's not Daryl Washington. It's not that type of athlete. I mean, he was drafted to be a safety, a strong safety. It was converted to linebacker and just so happens that that was the way the league was shifting at the time anyway. And the Cardinals were really ahead of the curve in that regard. But at the same time, I do think he has a place on this team uh, and he played well yesterday. Now, I think part of that was basically the Cardinals asked C.J. Beathard to beat them. And clearly he didn't step up to the occasion. I don't think he played particularly well at all compared to how he played on Monday night. Uh, and the Cardinals kind of took advantage of that and, and really stacked the box and did a fairly good job in terms of the Cardinals' standards uh, against the run. The Niners have a very good offensive line. It's sneaky good. Joe Staley is still a, a high-caliber left tackle uh, that mm -hmm. could, in fact, get moved tomorrow. And Mike McGlinchey really is the best offensive tackle that came out last, in last year's draft who's playing right tackle for them. The Cardinals would love to have a player like McGlinchey a uh, former tackle from the University of Notre Dame. So you talk about two really nice bookend tackles. 
and they gave him some decent protections. I know the Cardinals got to Beathard uh, a couple times yesterday uh, and the play of Marcus Golden I want to touch on quickly. But, um, you know, you, you, you think about where this defense was, uh, you know, two weeks ago and the embarrassment that they suffered against a very poor Denver Bronco offense. I think they did a nice job responding, you know, to that to that call. It's defense, yes, it's scheme, it's personnel, but a lot of it is, is effort. Uh, we didn't see a whole lot of that on that Thursday night. Uh, the ascension of Marcus Golden back as a starter, seven tackles, a sack, two tackles for loss. Uh, he looks like the player that oh, man. led the team in sacks two years ago uh, in 2016 with 13 and a half sacks, uh, I think to lead the NFL uh, that season. And I always thought he is a sneaky candidate for the Cardinals either to franchise or to bring back because I know how well thought of he is within the organization. Fluke injury last year tore his ACL. I didn't think he looked right even in the early portion of last season. Uh, But again, he's on his fourth year right now and would be subject to free agency um, I think he would get a very nice contract uh, should he hit the market because I think he's on his way to having a very productive second half for this team. And it's not just the edge pressure that, that he and Chandler Jones were able to generate, but I thought Golden played the run outstanding yesterday. Mm-hmm. I thought that's a big improvement, Blake, you've been saying for weeks. It, it hasn't been so much, yes, the, the inside linebacker play, the, the the fact that the Cardinals don't have a true 4-3 run-stuffing you know, defensive tackle on the roster, that doesn't help. But the majority of the time, they're getting gashed on the edge by a lot of these backs. And having Golden on the edge, set the edge uh, defensively, I think is is big for this team down the stretch. Uh, Again, baby steps moving forward uh, on both sides of the ball. But having Golden back into the fold, I think really makes a difference for this team. So uh, again, I mean, we envisioned a linebacking core at one point of Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden and Hassan Reddick and Dale Buchanan. It wasn't too long ago that that wasn't crazy to think of as a 3-4 defensive base. And now, you know, Buchanan may be gone. Reddick, what do we what do we have with him? You know, certain weeks he flashes. Thought he played well yesterday. Uh, Golden could be gone. So Chandler Jones really is the only sure thing, I think, for, for 2018. But, mm. or, two, that, yeah, 2019. But uh, I would like to see them keep – all four of those guys and see if they can have a role uh, in this team down the stretch. I don't know why, if you're Steve Wilkes, you would not try to make it work with the personnel you have, especially when your GM who could be on the hot seat as well needs these players to work because if Steve Wilkes doesn't have a job, you know, or if, if Steve Kime doesn't have a job at the end of the season, Steve Wilkes doesn't, isn't going to have a job either. So I, hopefully he's learning to play with the personnel that he has, which I thought was something that Bruce Arians always did well. Yeah, that's the thing about with Kime, like we've talked about, and I still firmly believe that he's going to be here next year. And then unless the Cardinals, if they go 2-14, and 14, you still see the defense like gives up 170 rushing yards to Kareem Hunt next week and they just get dismantled and you keep seeing that down the stretch. Maybe you do end up seeing and there's still lack of progress. This is kind of the first step towards progress. Now the downside, of course, obviously, is the caveat that it basically came in one quarter against the San Francisco 49ers, who are a team that's in the running for the number one pick and is starting a backup quarterback in 
basically have an injured running back that they have right now because their starter is also out for the season as well. And their defense is just, you know, taking on a lot of injuries. So that's the biggest caveat is you still struggled against a team that was really you should have beaten, especially since you are starting most all of the starters, the guys you didn't start with, Corey Peters, the Cardinals run defense, you know, give them plenty of credit at least, did a fantastic job at least against the Niners. But a lot of it is just, you know, a team that's been really, really beat up against a team that, you know, they had a couple of new plays that were put in there. Byron Leftwich had a few things that were designed that were a bit different. Um, and I think it's the area as far as when you're talking about this team is does this team still kind of need to get blown up or have a rebuild in a lot of different ways? And I think that it might be where it'll depend on what the offense does because if the offense performs well enough and the defense is able to, you know, not go back to – giving up, you know, about 200 yards or something on the ground. Maybe they'll end up saying, okay, we got this. We can build around this. Let's take a look into season two with that one. We can take a look at Leftwich. We'll take a look at Wilkes. We've got all the cap space. We've got some picks. Let's see if we can add to this and kind of keep building on this mode and onto this model. Because it did seem a lot like that Wilkes is not like people talk about him being, you know, a conservative, run-the-football type of coach. Maybe the screen passes are a way for them to be – aggressive enough to get around some of those areas but you did see some pretty aggressive play calling when it came down to it in the fourth quarter with some pretty deep throws and I wonder at least if Wilkes is just content to let Leftwich be kind of the guy to run the offense and not put in as much from a head coaching decision as much and then kind of focus more on the defensive side uh, I still think that there were some areas I didn't like especially in terms of the game management one of them was having to take a timeout early out of the half that you really kind of would have didn't end up totally needing down the stretch but then you also took a timeout before the two-minute warning I even looked at that I was like whether it was the setup or how it worked with the play it just it was an area where you really probably only then had one timeout that was going to be left to you after the two-minute warning was done they did end up using I believe the one timeout that was there at the uh, at the end of the game the Niners ended up using a timeout to try to save some clock to get the ball back just because you had some great plays but it was just the kind of feeling at least of if you feel like that Josh Rosen he's not ready he's still developing and learning your hope is that Steve Wilkes is in that kind of mode too but I think that we're going to have to see how that will work and I was not that encouraged when he said that we weren't going to be working toward potentially having the 4-3 defense and seeing more time for Buchanan next week unless they're already you know trying to trade him and they'll have to go back to it, it just felt kind of like it was more of the area where he was like not going to say that the 4-3 defense will fix it not going to say that's the 4-3 defense is what fixed it it was the same thing even in this game where it's like he didn't say oh Byron Leftwich fixed it Byron Leftwich fixed it. it was kind of almost like a lack of admitting mistakes and I feel like that's kind of what Cardinals fans don't want to hear at least overall I don't, I don't know about you John about how you'll feel at least about with where you're looking at so far with Wilkes and with Kine I think we'll talk a little bit more about some of that in the second half and then also over the bye as we kind of preview some of the direction of where this team is going but do you feel more confident in Steve Wilkes do you think after after the Niners game and the win, or do you kind of feel about, you know, the same overall as you were kind of entering in? The same. Uh, I think that, again, the Cardinals played a 1-16 that hadn't won a road game that was coming off uh, an emotional loss against the Green Bay Packers on a short week. And so um, with a backup quarterback, I mean, I think we can all say with, with a lot of confidence that if if Jimmy Garoppolo had played both of these games, the Cardinals would probably be winless on the season. Um, that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It, and so uh, I'm not going to discredit what he did. I'm, I'm not to, I'll never discredit a win, and I'll never never actively root for the Those Cardinals. Earned, yeah. <laughs> and it's hard to win in the NFL. But, again, you got – how many games have the Cardinals played it? I feel like they're essentially at home every week now playing a, an underachieving team. And, um, again, the Cardinals looked like a team that had quit Thursday 
against the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. And while they didn't look like that defensively against San Francisco through three quarters, they looked like a team that was going to lose at home again to a team with one win that they had beaten seven straight times. I mean, if Josh Rosen isn't able to complete that last pass, Christian Kirk and the Cardinals lose. I mean, should I feel differently about Steve Wilkes? I don't know. I have belief in Josh Rosen. That hasn't faltered this season. I think he's going to play well down the stretch uh, because of Byron Leftwich and hopefully some of these younger players, uh, you know, rising to the occasion like a DJ Humphreys or a Christian Kirk or a Ricky Seals-Jones. But Steve Wilkes, to me, is is kind of at a point right now where he just – I would hope he coaches aggressively for his job because – like he said in the mm-hmm. press conference two weeks ago, you know everybody's job is on the line. You can't you can't play this poorly. Not only as a team, but you can't be offensively the one of the worst teams of the last 15 years. Even if you do consider yourself you know, a defensive head coach, it was your choice to hire Mike McCoy, and unfortunately right. that was supported within the organization. But you made that decision. You have to live with that. And so if the Cardinals are one of the worst teams you know, offensively the last 20 years because of a decision that you made, who's to say you can make the right decision this off season. So I'll have continued questions regarding Steve Wilkes, barring something unforeseen. If he's able to keep his job, I'm happy for him, but that just means that, you know, the, the pressure is going to be cooked up to 11 next year. You're going to expect significant turnaround. I don't know if he's capable of that, honestly. And I don't think it's fair to ask him to, um, to take that on if they finish two and 14, it's just not, I think that it would be best for both parties to se- separate at that time. If they, if they get embarrassed, if they're blown out and there's, I mean, like there's a real possibility because of their schedule that that's, what's going to happen, but it's the NFL crazier things have happened. Uh, I'll root for the guy until he's not the coach for the Cardinals anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't actively root for, for uh, coaches to be fired or terminated, but at the same time, like if I, if you're asking me to use my eyes, and, and tell you what I see. I see a team right now that's still grossly underperforming offensively based on the personnel that they have. And I see a head coach right now who was a one-year coordinator, uh, defensive coordinator in, a, in an offensive league, and you've got a franchise rookie quarterback that's got four more years making no money. You, let's, let's make the most of that for a team mm-hmm. that's never won a Super Bowl. Yeah, for sure. And especially when you look at how much pressure that Josh Rosen's been under, most people are bringing up the Jared Goff comparisons. Now, Goff never had a game like Rosen did in the fourth quarter, at least with the Rams. Some of that perhaps is just the talent of looking how they went to Fitzgerald, David Johnson. David Johnson was being evaluated for a concussion, came out of the game, and he only came back in, I believe, for like the last like one or two plays, at least, when he was cleared. So what's crazy about that to me, then, is that means that Rosen was really going down the field for that one basically just with Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and Chase Edmonds as a rookie. Yeah, they had all four rookies that were on the field for that game-winning drive. So that's one of the kind of crazy things about when you're talking about the potential and how high he can go. Once you get the talent around him, you can really see what is actually going to be kind of the future. And to me, that's positive. It's also encouragement for Byron Leftwich. If it was a space where the, he performs and the offense plays well, the defense doesn't show the signs of improvement, but the offense continues to develop and improve week to week, maybe you take a look and say, all right, well, you know what? We're comfortable bringing Steve Wilkes back in, in year two because we know that if he does go downhill, we can continue to evaluate Byron Leftwich. He's not probably going to get head coaching interviews, at least unless he just blows people out of the water again this is so early at least in his career he's just having to get a lot more of the nuances of play calling uh, to himself at least with that 
so, but I do think that that is an area, at least where there is some optimism here for the Cardinals. But ultimately, in that optimism, it's, it's still talking about how if this is a two and fourteen team, it would still be probably the worst team that the Arizona Cardinals, at least record-wise, have ever had for sure since they've moved to Arizona, and probably even dating back like years since the St. Louis years. I don't even know about the Chicago years, especially. It's just it would be a miserable year if this is the last win that we're talking about. Hopefully, they'll be able to have a chance against a team like the Raiders playing at home in a few weeks. But again, like you said, that schedule is rough. We're going to take a quick break here on the Bird Game Blitz podcast. Coming up, we're going to talk about the biggest story of the week that was hanging over everyone's heads coming into it, and that would be the Patrick Peterson trade rumors, which we found out this last week were confirmed. What are we going to make of this? Is Patrick Peterson still going to be a Cardinal coming after the trade deadline? Is he going to be a Cardinal next year? That's all going to be up here next on the Bird Gang Blitz. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Hey, sports fans. Football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. We're back on the Bird Game Blitz podcast. Johnny, Patrick Peterson, we talked about it on the previous pod, that we believe that the rumors, at least we saw Jason Lockenfor, there was questions about that. I know I'd connected at least Gerard Powers, sending out at least the tweets about how he said that, you know, hey, Patrick Peterson, he doesn't, he wants to be on a contending team. Cardinals are one and six. Steve Kime make the call. Putting the two together, we'd gotten further, far along enough after the Denver game that I guessed that, okay, we haven't heard any sort of follow-up or extra confirmation. And then suddenly Adam Schefter bombshell drops. Patrick Peterson's requested the team for a trade. Seemed to ask them at least multiple times. Times wanted to be traded to a contender by the deadline. Um, things just kind of went haywire. It seems to have settled down a little bit. We were wondering at least if we were going to be having a little bit more of news to that or considering a little bit more. It seems like he might be with the team for the rest of the season, barring something unforeseen. Uh, John, what, what are we to make of all this with the Patrick Peterson rumors, at least as far as with Arizona and his current tenure with the team? This is a team captain who's made the Pro Bowl seven out of seven years. This is a guy who people are talking about as the second face of the franchise behind Larry Fitzgerald, maybe 
maybe Rosen takes over some of that in some standpoint if he continues to develop. But God, this kind of seemed like it was the lowest point for the Arizona Cardinals, even after the Denver Broncos lost and blow and the firing of Mike McCoy. What, what are we to make of all this? I think it's all true. I think that, you know, give credit to Jason. He's, I, I think, the least accurate national reporter, and that's not a knock on him. That's just the truth. I think he tends to speculate. Uh, but it's been confirmed by Peterson's cousin, Brian McFadden, former uh, Cardinal, came out and basically said that, you know, I've got a source. His name's Patrick Peterson. He wants to be traded out of Arizona. He wants to be traded to the New Orleans Saints. I mean, that came out this time last week. And so, I mean, like, honestly, my take has been the same since, since the start of these rumors. Uh, you know, at first, I, you know, based on Lock and Four's history, I didn't believe that there was much weight to them. I knew, I'm, I'm sure he had heard that he was frustrated. But when Adam Schefter is tweeting out that Peterson's demanding trades, you know, off the team, you know, then you have to take it seriously because it is true. Because, you know, Adam Schefter doesn't fabricate those kind of things. And so I took that as, okay, Patrick Peterson set, like you mentioned, big seven for seven in uh, Pro Bowl appearances. He's going to the Hall of Fame one day. He's got his money, right? He probably wants a third contract at some point that the Cardinals will, uh, will offer him if he's still on the team. But at the same time, uh, he's going to end his career with endorsements and a lot of great you know, financial success. He might even so have a Hall of Fame jacket. That's the other thing I think about that. Absolutely. He's going to so, go to the Hall of Fame. But will he – ever have a chance to, to win a Super Bowl. I mean, the Cardinals, I hope, within the next four or five years compete because of Josh Rosen. But, but right now, I think Peterson's thinking to himself, all right, I'm, I'm 28 years old. Uh, I've probably got another three to four great years left. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you think about when, when corners would start to show their age, they'd have to convert to safeties late in their career, like a Rod Woodson or a Charles Woodson. Now that's you don't see that as much because – you know, safeties that come out have to be able to run just as fast as a lot of the corners that play. And so he's probably thinking to himself, you know, if I'm going to get a payday beyond 30, you know, I'd rather take it on a contending team. I want to try to win right now. And mm-hmm. so the Cardinals is frustrating. And, it, and here's another thing that I think people are underestimating. Patrick Peterson was on those Ken Wisenhunt teams those last two years that were inept offensively. Yep. And he basically helped get them to 8-8 eight and eight was on second to last year with just a, a ridiculous rookie season with plenty of, of kick returns. Uh, this, that next year, Wisenhunt was fired after going 5-11. The team was awful, and Peterson got a brief taste of failure in the NFL. And then Bruce Arians came on board and established a winning culture, uh, and I think Peterson obviously liked what he saw and knew what a good coach was and knew what a championship team looked like. And, yes, the Cardinals sputtered the, the better part of the last two seasons. And so he comes into this season probably with a renewed source of hope that, okay, I've got a young coach, I've got a young quarterback, let's see what they can do. And the team is struggling. I think it was kind of de facto confirmed that Peterson was one of those people who thought the team should have stuck with Sam Bradford yep. longer. Based, I think based purely on the fact that, you know what, they probably thought this year if this team was going to try to win – their best chance was with Bradford. Blake, you and I didn't think that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he probably had some internal support. Peterson played against Bradford plenty of times in his career, probably liked what he saw, I would imagine, if he came to that conclusion. And then you also got to think about, okay, like we've changed our defense. We're worse for it. Like what am I doing here? I'm, I'm, I'm not playing man. I'm playing this zone defense. I'm not covering 
the best receiver defensively week in and week out or off receiver offensively week in and week out. So he's probably just like, well, just, just trade me, get your value for me and let me go try to win somewhere else. And would I blame the Cardinals for doing it? No, like you, you don't win championships in this league with pro bowl corners, shut down corners alone. And I think that's the problem that, that a lot of Cardinals don't understand. For one thing, they I think they overvalued Peterson's, you know, uh, overvalued him at, at some extent. I mean, he's he's going to be 39 next year. Uh, he's going to usually when defenders get third contracts past 30, it's a mistake. Um, unless usually, we've seen a couple of guys who usually will have about two to three good years or so left. And then sometimes there's the age of youth, but a lot of times it's with the cornerbacks as far as like the value of the number one corner that you'd have to check at least in question. He's never been hurt. There's a lot that I think that you're right. It does come into it. But when you have that third contract of once you hit 30 as a defensive back, you know, there's, it's hard to be able to see that unless some of the corners have to move to safety, similar to how a Charles Woodson did. Right, and you and I think the guys that excel are the pass rushers, the guys who are sack artists like Dwight Freeney, who played late in his career, uh, Julius Peppers, those kind of players, because they, they play a different position. They don't have to run downfield with twenty-two-year-olds who can who can burn four-four. I mean, like that. I think that's what hurts you know Peterson's value over the course of these next four to five years. So my my thought process was always the same, and I'll I'll wrap this up with with the following: mm-hmm. if the Cardinals were able to get a first rounder plus for Peterson from a team that had uh, one number one had to have a first rounder. Like the, the uh, New Orleans Saints never made sense because unless they were going to give up a young offensive lineman, which they showed no inclination of doing, mm-hmm. they didn't make sense because they traded it for Marcus Davenport, who looks great, by the way. Uh, and yeah, so his best game of the season, at least for that one. So props to the Saints because I thought he was going to have an entire year of needing to develop before you'd see the upside. And so great, you know, I, I, I great a concept at least by them and getting Teddy Bridgewater for a third. Maybe if you can keep and hold on to him after his contract is up, gives you your quarterback of the future is already in that roster. So the Saints at least seem to be understanding a lot more of how to be able to build the team, at least identifying talent, which is something that you really want and hope to be able to see the Cardinals do soon. Yeah, anybody who watched the Cardinals on Thursday night uh, two weeks ago know that this team is not close right now. And as much as I don't want to believe it sometimes, it could be a, a rebuild two off seasons in the making. Like you really, you're going to turn down a first and a second or a first and a conditional first or a first and a third and a player, a young player on a rook cheap contract for two more years of Patrick Peterson who could very well not be in your plans when he's 30 years old. I mean, like that, those are the kind of questions you got to ask yourself. If you're an Arizona Cardinal fan, like this team is Josh Rosen's team. Mm -hmm. Josh Rosen is the future of this team. If you're ever going to win and have sustained winning, it's, it's gotta be because of Josh Rosen. As much as I love Patrick Peterson, you've got a ton of mileage out of Peterson. He's played on great teams for you. Probably the best stretch in the history of your franchise. And he's been a, you know, a, a great soldier on and off the field. But, man, if you can get really great compensation for a player of his – I mean, it's not Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack hadn't gotten his second contract yet. I think Khalil Mack plays a more important position. Khalil Mack is, Khalil Mack is younger than Peterson. And, and the Oakland Raiders, to me, are, were a team I thought that could have competed this year. The Cardinals are not competing this year and potentially next year. They're not close. And so if you can flip Peterson and get help for the future and, and assets – this offseason, then you, I think you do it if, if the compensation is good enough. Now, again, 
Blake, I'll, I'll get your take on what you think mm-hmm. the compensation should have been. I would, I probably would have gone with the first and the third. I know a lot of people wouldn't have taken that. But to me, that's that's two starters on the offensive line. That's another number one potential cornerback and a, and a number two receiver. If Steve Kime could, could make the picks correctly, I think that's the biggest question we all had. Yeah, I think as far as for where I am at, as far as with the – the advantage that I see, at least for Peterson, in terms of when you look at him as far as consistently across the board, maybe you could make an argument for Richard Sherman, although the injury hasn't helped, at least for that one. Uh, he's clearly struggled with some of the speedy receivers, but has still stayed consistent overall through, it, uh, through everything for the most part. But with Peterson, you're getting a guy who probably is the closest thing to the NFL having a lockdown corner. And even Jalen Ramsey, at least for that one, has still had, uh, you know, been a very close as far as that he's still on a rookie contract but Peterson's only making 11 and 12 million dollars next year part of what I believe at least is that Peterson recognizing and seeing his value at least is he's knowing that he's on one of the more affordable team deals in the NFL uh, I think that that's one of the biggest advantages and because he's turning 30 you know the Cardinals have to keep him for another two years and he walks to another team he wouldn't be making maybe the same amount so I do think that there may be a compensation area of him looking across the league seeing the 141 million dollar deal for Khalil Mack seeing a lot of the other players get paid I think he's wondering at least about if he's like hey you know what maybe what I can at least do is what I want to come to the Cardinals and say hey either I want to basically getting a contract extension where we take my current deal, rip it up, get a four years. That way I'll be able to stay here till I'm 32, have a lot more of that security. Or if you're going to deal me to a team that will at least be able to make that, who's a contender, let's say that the Green Bay Packers decided, you know, they've just drafted a fantastic corner in Jair Alexander. But let's say a team like the Packers wanted to make a trade like that, give up, they have quite a few assets. And we're able to say, hey, we want to extend you to another contract, at least over here. Maybe that would be the area where you could take a look at and say, hey, this is an option at least that we could look at. I think with the Cardinals, if I had to look at it, I think that you start the conversation at two first-round picks, mostly just because when you're talking about that contract and that leverage, you also have to take a look at the fact that this is a very rare player in that regard in terms of this is a guy that you're taking a look at the top 20 players in the league. He probably is a guy who's going to be in that top 20 more often than not on a year in and year out basis and the fact that previously a few days ago Amari Cooper was traded for a first round pick you look at a guy like Cooper who he made the Pro Bowl once in one of the years and has struggled repeatedly the cost and the price at least went up a lot and I think you're taking a look at Khalil Mack as kind of the baseline maybe you say it's a little bit under but there was still a pick that gave up two first round picks it also gave up a third rounder in 2020 and then you take a look at you got a second rounder back from the Raiders that was the thing that was a little surprising to people was that the Raiders gave up that second going back perhaps that would be something where the Cardinals would take a look at potentially if you wanted to get a higher amount of the first round picks maybe you give up something that's a little bit of lower value or perhaps it's hey we give you Patrick Peterson and say a third we get back the two firsts and then maybe you throw in if they wanted to throw in said they had two second rounders I think that you with Peterson you want to go high because this is a player who again he makes your team better by being on it and because even though you're going to be working and getting picks to rebuild the team you've got something that's a known quantity a known product and it's elite in Patrick Peterson you could go and say take Greedy Williams with your first pick and you've got no guarantee of knowing he's going to be you know a, a decent football player much less as half the player so I think that you make the trade if it's going to be worth that compensation saying okay you know what Patrick Peterson he doesn't still want to be here we can go and get a lot of picks where we can end up with potentially you know three you know like maybe it's five picks in the first you know 50 picks of the next year's draft and another first rounder the year afterwards that's a deal that I would then definitely consider especially if Patrick doesn't want to be here but I do think with the Cardinals when you look at the Eagles and when going eight and eight in their first year they had a a better defense they were 
basically set for the most part on offense. They had a lot more stability. You look at the Rams, even with their one-year turnaround. Granted, they had Sean McVay behind that. They had a lot of the defense in place. I think the Cardinals do believe that they have their quarterback, and they believe they can turn it around very quickly and compete. If you can go, you know, a 9-7 and seven or even do what the Rams did previously, and again, that's maybe asking quite a bit, but that's what the goal, at least, the Cardinals have is you'd want Patrick Peterson to be on that roster. So I think that if I'm the Cardinals, I would at least tend to say if Patrick Peterson does not want to be here, and I think you make that trade, but I think then you also would then say, hey, we now are going into the offseason. If you make the trade now, maybe you get two first-round picks, but it might be he goes to the Eagles or he might go to a team like, let's take a team like, let's say it's the Chiefs who are next year, who maybe they have the 30th pick next year, and then they give up a second-rounder. It's going to be like, you know, the top 64 pick that you'll have. And then even if it's a first-rounder the year after that, the Chiefs are going to be in it at least for the next two years. You're getting it for low picks. If you can at least be able to leverage and be able to pick and choose where you can either drive the price up for those teams that are going to be you know high-end competitors by saying hey you know you're offering all of this we've gotten this offer from you know say it's a team like the like the not maybe not the bills but like another team that's going to be of a lower caliber quality I think then you can at least leverage and have a whole offseason to go about it versus having seven days so my perspective I don't think that it's over I think that I would try to push that end higher if it turned into a situation where Peterson was being toxic he wasn't practicing he was holding out he was throwing people under the bus then that would be kind of turning into a situation where you'd have to get rid of him but since he's kind of backtracked from some of the things even I think that and it feels like that it's all set since Larry Fitzgerald even joked about at least that Patrick Peterson had a one day holdout <laughs> and he did it on an off day it was kind of a way of joking it in front of the team to media it was kind of laughing it almost kind of felt like that some of the wounds that had been there were kind of being healed Steve Wilkes he, you know said Peterson was inconsistent I think it was more just a good wide receiver and Marquise Goodwin beating him on one player for a 55 yard touchdown but after the fact he, uh, after the breakdown of the whole play Wilkes had Peterson be the guy who broke the team down he was a team captain Fitzgerald said good to have you back Patrick just kind of jokingly at least for he was there and it felt like that a lot of the healing kind of was able to begin where I think you could have Patrick Peterson with the team it might take a contract extension to get there it might take maybe some other changes or some commitment I don't think that's a guarantee obviously but I do think that the Cardinals at least are in the motion where even if they don't keep Patrick Peterson I think you're in a better position to make a move and make a trade at least for him in the offseason especially since you know John like I look at what the the Colts got from the Jets getting three second round picks to move up three spots in the offseason that was just a huge cost on a draft day trade most of the trades are pre-slotted and pre-set you can't drive the price up I felt like it was the same way with Peterson at least here and we'll see how it goes the rest of the team and the rest of the season well I think we'll be watching him very closely Um, what's at least encouraging to me I guess we'll kind of touch off in this last part of the defense of the trade is just seeing the play of Buda Baker and how he seems to be evolving into a star taking the role of Tyron Matthew to me that seems to be the biggest encouragement overall is that you're not going to be kind of totally left out without a secondary if you do end up moving on from Peterson because you'll at least be getting picks and compensation you've got again a, a Grady Williams a DeAndre Baker you could target if it does turn into a divorce at the end of the year or a team just makes you an offer that you can't refuse uh, tell me your thoughts at least on how Buddha has played so far I think he's been everything the Cardinals had hoped he would be uh, when they drafted him. I think that he is uh, firmly entrenched as the uh, future face of that secondary if and with, if and when Peterson uh, decides to leave, whether it's a trade or free agency or what have you. Uh, and he's somebody who I think has outplayed uh, 
Matthew, uh, since he's really ascended to a starter at the NFL level. I think he's somebody that's going to make a handful of, of Pro Bowls in his career uh, and may never be the high-end caliber player that Matthew was, who was arguably – I mean, Matthew at his best was Defensive Player of the Year material, uh, especially in 2015 uh, and parts of 2014. But at the same time, uh, you know, you look at what – Buda Baker's been able to do on a, on a Cardinal defense that has seen very few positives, and he's definitely been one. He played, uh, plays incredibly physical. He's able to do a, a very nice job covering the slot, but also playing the run. He's uh, somebody who doesn't mind getting uh, dirty when it comes to uh, playing the line of scrimmage and uh, going up against bigger backs most of the time because he's slightly undersized. He's going to be taking on defenders or offensive players that are uh, much bigger than him, and he does a great job mm-hmm. of that. He's a little bit of a throwback player, uh, but I think the best part about him is he's he's just he does so many things well. He may not be great in one specific area, but he's going to be somebody at the end of the day, only 22 years old too, which is tough to believe. That's going to have a handful sacks of this on the season, maybe a couple forced fumbles. I think the intercept, interceptions will start to come as he becomes savvier in his play. Uh, on the back end uh, in regards to playing the pass, but somebody who's going to be accountable uh, for the Cardinals many years to come. Obviously a contract extension is in his near future, not this this off season, but maybe in 2019. Uh, Somebody who I think will be a staple for this team. And again, who's going to experience these growing pains with some of these younger players and hopefully they're better for it. The Christian Kirks, the DJ Humphreys, the Josh Rosens, uh, to to lesser extent, the, the David Johnsons and, and the Buda Bakers are really going to be the next wave of, of great Cardinal players. And whether they're a part of a winning culture or not, you know, I don't know. It's always hard for me to get my hopes up about a young player, though, because I had the same expectations for Dale Buchanan after his first season and Marcus Golden. And there's a, there's a possibility both of those guys are going to be gone. Now, I think Baker in what he does, and he's played consistently more. I mean, he was the Cardinals' best rookie last year, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Uh, he came in and, and, and showed that he belonged immediately. And so it's it's been evident since the start that he's the guy for this team moving forward at either, you know, safety or slot corner, whatever kind of hybrid position you want him at. And so, yes, he is a bright spot, but, you know, the Cardinals need to find many more Buda Bakers at many more other positions if they want to get back into contention. Yeah, John, I totally agree with you there. The Cardinals have a lot to figure out as far as the – yeah, it's a, a lot to figure out as far as just the talent level on this team. Like, I look at a guy like a Chad Williams. They look at how J.J. Nelson had a dropped pass, at least. And there was even one of the plays you can look at where Nelson, I believe, he had ran, I believe it was a, a route that was given a P.I. and a flag. But he jumped, like, partway through the route. It was just – it was this terrible play. But fortunately, he drew a flag, at least in the official. And then Chad Williams on a play in the red zone had a slant that he has at least the speed and the ability. He had separated from the guy, at least enough, from the line where – could have taken the slant, gotten all the way down to maybe like the one or the two yard line. And he ran the completely wrong route. Rosen looked at it, sees he ran the wrong route. The pressure is coming. He just throws the ball out of the back of the end zone. And so you're looking at a guy who people are talking about. He's a smart player who's making, you know, veteran type of reads of a lot of the coverages when he's able to be there. When he has time and is protected, he's good. But he just does not have enough talent around him, even with Fitzgerald and Johnson's involvement. And David Johnson, to his credit, he did play well. There was some bigger runs that were potentially out there for him that he's missed. And maybe it's a time of space, maybe it's film, maybe it's just some of it is the player that 
he is, and maybe it's part of it is the terminology in this blocking scheme still isn't there yet, but it just feels like the team needs to have a reinvention in a lot of areas of just the talent around them. There's a lot of questions I think that you would have even still on the defensive side. You know, you see Reddick playing, you see the, the play of Buker, of uh, excuse me, of Buda Baker overall. I think there's just questions that people have in this Cardinals team, particularly if you come back next season with Wilkes and not with an offensive guy. I think that's going to be one of the biggest questions Cardinals fans have. That's going to be the question that we'll talk about coming up over here in the last part of our program. Uh, we're going to talk about Steve Keim. What are we seeing so far? It's been eight games through the season. The Cardinals are two and six. What are we seeing so far from Steve Keim and Steve Wilkes? What do we have to see from them at least as far as for looking at for next year? Are they going to be back uh, for sure next year already? It's, it's a done deal. We're just looking at least for the upper performance. Or is this going to be a case where we're talking about the Cardinals having to reinvent themselves? Uh, that's going to be here on the last segment of the Bird Game Blitz podcast. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed-rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. We're back on the Bird Game Blitz podcast. So, John, let's talk a little bit just about with kind of the state of the Cardinals. Right now, Byron Leftwich seems to be – uh, secure in at least the rest of the position. I don't know if he's going to be a Jim Bob Cooter that if let's say the Cardinals go two and 14 and do move on from Wilkes. I don't know if he's a guy they would say, Hey, we have to keep and kind of assign him to the next coach just for maybe the stability you would have with Josh Rosen. So he doesn't have seven offensive coordinators. And I think, what does that be? Six years or so, but let's talk a little bit about Steve Kine because we still are having issues with the offense. Mike Yapati, at least he played, but again, there was still issues that they had in protection. Still have not seen everything that we've wanted to see out of the line. Andre Smith had a good game, honestly, overall um, from pro football focus. I, I do know that the Niners don't have an edge player at all who's really adept at rushing the passer. But let's talk a little bit about with Kime and with Wilkes because it seems like we're split on half of the fans seem to believe that they're going to be back for year two. The team just needs to kind of grow and blow, and the problem was centered on McCoy. Some fans believe that the problem is ultimately stemming from Steve Kime and the Cardinals and whether that was with the DUI, whether it was just with areas over the year from the common areas. I know we had John Brown and Tony Jefferson, uh, not Tony Jefferson, excuse me, um, Chris Johnson, I should say. Tony Jefferson was the one who recruited John Brown to the Ravens. All had kind of some negative things to say, whether it was about the Arians, the coaching staff, or the Cardinals organization. Uh, John, where do we kind of stand at least on this as far as for looking at with Wilkes and Kime? Is this a spot where you think that they definitely should be back in year two and it was more of a lot of it was just recognizing the failure of the Mike McCoy process? Or is this going to be a different type of feeling we have? Because I've, I've got some mixed emotions at least on this ultimately as long as you take a look at the Cardinals after this game if they can continue to show some of this improvement down the stretch I don't know if it's a done deal that you can say they they should move on and I, I don't think that you would want them to move on if they show improvement yeah absolutely you want the team to do to look better I mean it's this isn't like you know you don't have your quarterback and you're hoping you don't win any more games like the New York Giants fans probably feel like so you can have a chance to to get the draft's top quarterback, uh, the Cardinals have their quarterback. And, uh, you know, sure, they're going to probably have a top five, three pick, but it doesn't really matter if it's two or if it's four, depending on, you know, if it's one, you've got leverage in, tr in trading back. So it's not like you can, you, you can feel good about losses. I think you want to feel good about the progress of your team going into next year because I think there's 
young players on this team that need to grow and develop, and they need to see a healthy winning culture. Uh, I think that that gets overplayed a lot. I think that momentum doesn't carry from one season to the next, but I think players do. Uh, and so if the Cardinals decide that they've seen enough from Steve Wilkes to retain him, great. But I don't think we're there yet, not by any means. And we got a long way to go. Uh, I do think Steve Keim has earned a mulligan from this front office. Off the field, he's used it. But on the field, uh, the guy has one losing season as general manager of the Arizona Cardinals. Yes, he hired Bruce Arians, and Arians did the coaching. But Keim, Keim's picked the players. And a lot of those players have been quality contributors. Uh, now, I think the big picture is, for, for many fans, including myself, you know, his first round picks have just not been good enough. And in today's NFL, uh, how you build a lasting, you know, legacy uh, and sustain success outside of quarterbacks, you got to hit on your first rounders, right? And, and so he hasn't been able to do that, and he hasn't been able to build the offensive line. But I'd make an argument that he's done just about everything else. He's built a Super Bowl contending roster, traded for a franchise quarterback, drafted another one. He's developed, I think, a couple nice receivers. He's found undrafted players like Tony Jefferson who have contributed for next to nothing. Um, you know, he's, he's gotten a, a quality pass rusher, probably the best pass rusher in the history of this franchise mm-hmm. in Chandler Jones. Uh, and he found a complimentary one in Marcus Golden. Um, and, you know, early on, those, those signings, Jared Valdir, Mike Ayupati, look like good signings. Found John Abraham, found Dwight Freeney. I mean, like, Steve knows what talent looks like when it's been in the league. It's, it's finding it early in the draft, specifically in the first round, that he's had, he's had problems with. Uh, but you're talking about the second, the third round. Um, you know, he's had some, some really nice hits. David Johnson. Uh, we just talked about Buda Baker. We talked about Marcus Golden. But he's had his misses like, like any other GM. Uh, I will decide at the end of the year whether or not – I'm not going to go week to week with let's fire Steve Kahn <laughs> uh, yeah. because I think that's exhausting because we're already having to do that with Mike McCoy and Steve Wilkes and benching Sam Bradford. I think we've been reactionary, but I think it's been justified. Um, but, you know, this offseason, the Cardinals opted to stand by Steve Kime when he had that embarrassing public arrest for the extreme DUI. And if they would have fired him then, I would not have made excuses and I would have deemed it justifiable because of, you know, how horrific that, that incident was. But the fact that they did, Blake, they stuck by him. I think Michael Bidwell believes in him. And I think that Steve Kahn believes in Steve Wilkes. But that doesn't mean that Steve Wilkes isn't a casualty of a mulligan by Steve Kime. And he could say at the end of the year, we just were not good enough under Steve. Wish him well. We're going to go in a different direction. I think he's earned that. I really do. I think Steve Kime's earned the right to say, all right, I didn't get this right. We got to be better. I got to be better but we got to get Josh Rosen an offensive coach that's going to elevate him because that's what's winning in the NFL now. And, you know, uh, but here's, here's what I will say. And it's, we're not seeing a pay dividends right now. And I know Steve Wilkes, his defense has been lackluster at best. Certainly hasn't been as bad as the offense. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you remember when, when Steve Kime hired Bruce Arians, I think that what was the biggest concern, I think, from the fan base is, oh, we're going to another offense that's just like Wizenhunt's offense. Mm-hmm. Slow, downfield passing attack with these immobile quarterbacks. And what was the rage in the NFL? Mobile QBs, read option. Russell Wilson early on was doing a lot of that. Kaepernick was all the rage. RG3. like, mm-hmm. And the Cardinals went away from that, and it ended up working out. So I know we're not probably going to see it pay dividends in year one, but – Maybe Steve 
thought to himself, okay, I'm going to get the best defensive coach I can find. And I think he's a good motivator. And I think it's going to play out well. We, and again, this is a long-term play. I didn't think the defense would, would show improvement until probably the second half of the season anyway. Mm-hmm. But Thanks. this is the second time Steve Kimes kind of gone against the grain in a lot of ways. And so uh, I'm going to reserve judgment for him until the end of the season. But, like, you know, barring something unforeseen, I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to lose his job, Blake. Yeah, I think I would agree, at least with you. The biggest, the only way that I would see him being able to be even any type of threat is if he keeps seeing uh, hits on Josh Rosen, and eventually if one of those hits ends up turning into where he misses a couple of games, if anything, God forbid, ends up being a more serious injury. Part of that is not just because you're going to have to then be subjected to the Bradford or Glennon show. Uh, probably it would be Glennon because I could still see them wanting to save some of the dollars depending on what it's like, but also just because then it would just kind of highlight the fact that Kime has spent about five years or so with the Cardinals and outside of the first eight or so games of the 2015 season, he's not put together a strong line that can really run block or be able to pass protect very well. It's been mismatched, odds and ends have been put together. And I think what's interesting also on the other end, at least what you're talking about, is you look at a lot of the guys that he's brought in, you talk about, you know, the, this is the guy who brought back Carlos Dansby during that 2013 season. Talk about just the draft picks of being able to find a David Johnson, getting a Marcus Gold who a lot of you know pro and draft people had as maybe a fifth round talent now we're talking about how you know hey if the Cardinals are probably not going to be getting the number one overall pick at least to take a guy like a Bosa you got Golden already across the, the way from Chandler Jones that's kind of your pass rush duo that you want to have those two guys together as almost like an, one of the t- better pass rushing duos in the National Football League you talk about again the Chandler Jones trade even taking the risk on Tyron Matthew and some of those one-year deals like you brought up with Dwight Freeney, even looking at a guy like a trade for a Marcus Cooper, a lot of the moves have been very solid. You take a look at this year, and a lot of the things, it just has not worked. You talk about how he went out and their entire kind of plan for after the three quarterbacks left was to bring in Sam Bradford, to bring in Mike Glennon then as kind of the backup long-term. You talk about bringing in, restructuring Mike Upati, sending off Jared Valdir, who he's playing quite well before his injury. Perhaps some of the retirement questions he had factored in as well as his contract was a little bit larger. You talk about with bringing in the guys like the Justin Pugh, who just has not been very successful as a pass protector overall, hasn't been running the football well either. He, I believe, was um, – I believe they were going to get him back after the bye. We'll see exactly how he looks with Leftwich. But you talk about with bringing in Andre Smith, who has got whipped at least for the most part against um, Von Miller in the past game because the Cardinals haven't been able to run block as well. You look at just some of the other moves that were there. Traded the six for Jamar Taylor. He basically is relegated to a backup now. Um, to look at Jeremy Cashhead, of course, unfortunately, the ACL, he was on track to be a player. The best moves that Kime really did was re-signing Josh Bynes, who's been a perfect fit in this scheme, and bringing in Benet Ben Wickery. And then you look at the draft this year of the first four players, but outside of that, you just have to kind of question and wonder at least as far as when they were talking about bringing in talent or some of the moves for that one, was there an aspect that Arians potentially had with the team where they were able to build a bit more? Perhaps maybe some of that's there with Leftwich. I know that we look at Arians' one kind of offensive draft that he had for years with the Steelers being the organization, but with the Colts, you look at their first draft of being able to find, you know, luck was the obvious one, but finding a guy like a T.Y. Hilton in the later rounds. Uh, maybe you look at Christian Kirk. Is that, it's, it feels like a lot of this year has partially been kind of the mixed bag when we had this year – not performing, plus the first rounders the last couple of years. I think that's part of why some fans are at least are mixed on Steve Kine, because you took a step forward, but you didn't really end up kind of nailing it in the aspect where you're able to turn it around. You look at the 2017 
season where they decided not to give up a move for Mahomes and not really start the rebuild a year early. There's just been some kind of questions that that you've had as far as is Steve Keim going to be a guy who is really ultimately committed to this rebuild around Josh Rosen versus trying to rebuild on maybe this year with limited cap space and having to figure things out and getting a new head coach. Maybe I think that you're right that they'll give him a mulligan. He is very close to Michael Bidwell. They're always together, at least in the box watching. It seems like they kind of are working in sync, but I think there are going to be really very little questions that fans will have about him for the rest of this year, even going into next year unless Rosencart's taking hits or unless the offensive line still keeps having issues more guys go down you'll start questioning well, why did you bring back these injury guys uh, if a DJ Humphreys ends up getting hurt and goes on to IR again this has been kind of a pattern the last few years you're having to then kind of figure out where to move Wetzel if Andre Smith has been bad on injury it gets to that point where if you take more of those injuries that's where I think people will start questioning more of Steve Kimes so I don't think that you're going to really see any type of concern about his job status for 2019 I think that you're right but with Steve Wilkes if the team does lose quite a few maybe they start to take a look at needing an offensive coach and maybe Lefwich just isn't there quite yet maybe he's a little bit more I'd still say on the hot seat but it does reflect as one thing of if Patrick Peterson had all of these rumors and all this came because he felt that the Cardinals were a rebuilding team that wasn't close to competing despite the fact that a rookie quarterback with a rookie contract with all that cap space and the fact that the Cardinals, they only gave up a third and a fifth. They have their first next year. They have their second next year. They may even get a comp, they may even get, you know, uh, they probably won't get a compensatory pick as much for that one, depending on what happens as far as for guys signing the off season. I mean, if Marcus Golden leaves the team and signs for a big deal in 2020, you'll get a comp pick, but you're talking about a Cardinals team that, has kind of all the things lined up for them to be able to have a turnaround within a very short amount of time. And they believe they have the quarterback with Rosen. The fact that Peterson still doesn't believe this team has the talent and that it's going to take a while. That just to me tells a little bit about them. Maybe the problem isn't with Steve Welks and the trial. Maybe the problem is with Steve Kime. I don't know, John, it's a mixed bag for a lot of that one. I know Kime has been the sore subject for a lot of Cardinals fans. But what are some of your thoughts, at least on Kime, just with when you're looking at that balance of the pros and the cons and just the faith that fans have in him moving forward as we kind of close, it out for tonight in this episode well I would I would almost counter that point Blake I mean you mentioned it the Cardinals have two potential you know franchise edge, edge rushers they got a franchise quarterback we think they've got you know a, a receiving core I think that it's more talented than, than people think it is they've got an all-pro in David Johnson they've got an all-pro in Patrick Peterson and they've got multiple first-round linebackers one of which is proven in Dale Buchanan and they're they're underachieving. Why is that? I think it's because of Steve Wilkes. I just, I don't, I don't think the staff is, is good enough right now. And I think that we saw a lot of these players play well, consistently play well under Bruce Arians. Now, not everybody is Bruce Arians. I get that. But I, I think that that to me, like, okay, the Kim Dietschy pick does not look good. But again, DJ Humphreys is going to play a full season, knock on wood. And he's going to be able to say, I've got a left tackle that looks promising is still only, what, 24 years old. And you, the fact that, you know, a lot of Kimes moves outside of the first round have been, um, you know, successful. And I think that, you know, Michael Bidwell has never tasted sustained success in this franchise ever. This, they've never had it. And so it's going to take a lot, I think, for him to give up on the guy who really helped him get there. I mean, like he was his first hire uh before this this run of success started before they brought on Arians and it was he and and Kime that were out to dinner when they hired Arians when they Mm -hmm. looked at each other and said this is what's going to get this turned around and unfortunately it just hasn't worked out so far with Steve Wilkes but I think the consensus is 
everybody who watches this team from a national perspective knows that, okay, Cardinals aren't a great team by any means, but man, they've got more talent than they're, than they're showing right now. Just like the, I think just yep. like the Rams did in 2016 with, with, Jeff Fisher and Les Snead. I mean, people thought Les Snead was on the hot seat, uh, and now he might be GM of the year. I mean, we, we, we talk about getting the right coach in place and coaching a lot of these players up. Not everybody's going to be an all-pro player. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, boy, oh, boy, look at the Rams with, with Sean McVay and look at these some of these players that took the next step with him. And look at some of these players that have regressed under Steve Wilkes, David Johnson, they own Buchanan. I mean, we, we talk about it at nauseum. Mm-hmm. And these are players that have that are proven that they can play in this league. And I think I think there's a concern too, Blake, to sell off a lot of these pieces that were drafted under Kime that had showed success that they would go on and have success elsewhere. This is true. We've seen and, a lot of that too also with even Cardinals players of Tony Jefferson performing, Calais Campbell still mm-hmm. performing at a level that's even probably worth his contract in a scheme that seems to fit him better. DJ Swearinger, I believe, had one of the highest grades, I think, for pro football focus for safety yep. last week. Um, and so, yes, that's one of the basics. John Brown obviously laying it up for the Baltimore Ravens. I think that there's more that we're talking about for a lot of that. There's a lot of fans who've been making connections, and it started especially with the Patrick Peterson. Now, they got a win that covers up a lot of things, but I think that there are a lot of questions, at least, about the Cardinals, where maybe it's not the talent evaluation that's been the problem. Perhaps there's just other things that are going on as far as with the Cardinals. And, and I do think that Bruce Arians, that a lot of the stuff wasn't perfect. You know, John Brown had the story that came out this week where – the Cardinals training staff wanted to keep him healthy by having him kind of run two or so long routes in a row, kind of not put too much wear and tear coaching staff. He says that made him run three long deep routes in a row. And he ended up kind of hurting his quad and didn't really recover from that throughout most of the season. Perhaps some of that is the, and you know, we always talked about the Arians doghouse with, you know, saw Kandichi didn't make any type of impact. He was in Wilkes, at least he still makes an impact. He still made a, you know, a batted pass that was almost picked off in this game, at least where you never saw anything like that under Arians. So nothing is ever perfect. You know, a lot of the rose colored lenses also I think can come on for Arians whereas if Wilkes was you know six and two at this point people would be like Bruce who you know they'd be saying that he basically took the talent and I think that's when it comes down to is the fact that you have to basically look at things from like you're saying a lot of different angles and a lot of that is just reflecting on like you're saying with Steve Wilkes it's just not been performing well yeah I think here's another thing is the Kimes a lot of Kimes moves recently have not seen success right the Pew signing has not looked good I mean like the Phil Dawson signing hasn't looked good like and so when you're losing and and you haven't had hits in the first round that's then magnifying everything else and whereas Kime was hitting all cylinders outside of the first round with most of his transactions early on now that's not happening right and so I think it just magnifies everything else where it's like well why isn't Hassan Reddick playing and what's going on with Robert Kimdichi and your free agents class does not look good. I mean, like that, I think that that plays a part in it because those are the things that Kime had done well previously. He looked great in July. He looked great in March. You know, he, he looked, I mean, Kime to me, his best work is in the second and third round and in trading picks for players, mm-hmm. finding players late in the summer. And so we all just assume, okay, he's great at that. If he can just go 500 on his first-round picks, if he can go 50-50, which is really what a first-round pick is these days, mm-hmm. yep. the Cardinals will be in great shape. And he just hasn't done that. I mean, like, he doesn't have one first-round you know, first player who's, who's made a Pro Bowl since, since he started drafting first-rounders in 2013. I mean, that's six first-rounders. Yep. And then you can make an argument that, like, 
you know, of those six first rounders, only two have been contributors. And those two contributors are, are Dayon Buchanan and to a lesser extent now, you know, I'm, I'm not going to include Josh Rosen in that, but now it's DJ Humphreys. I mean, Robert Kimdichie is a rotational player, but again, here's something else fans need to think about. The Cardinals have been picking in the bottom half of the first round. I mean, like, I think it gets mm-hmm. magnified when you're picking high and you're missing on players like the Browns have done sure. for so long, like Buffalo, like you never want to miss on anybody, but I mean, Kime's missing on potentially Kim Dietschy and to a lesser extent, DJ Humphreys. He's picking, you know, the latter half of the first round in the, in the late twenties. You know what I mean? So it's just, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta paint the whole picture here when fans have frustration with that, I'm not making excuses for him, but I think that he just, he hasn't had a good, let's be honest, he just hasn't had a good two Two ma or two year stretch, mm-hmm. beginning. When did it start, Blake? The 2017 draft, yep. when he decided not to trade up for Mahomes or Watson, mm-hmm. and that could haunt the franchise. And he took an undersized linebacker based on potential, and that's kind of started everything. Right, and I think that's also interesting when you look at how when they were making the choice, they had him graded out. You know, as we talked about, as like a Von Miller type player, they have not used him as well there as far as for being able to be on the line of scrimmage with forcing tackles for loss. He had a great play, I believe, at least in one of these games that they had earlier. He had another solid play in coverage. Um, they made a trade up, at least obviously for Buda Baker in that class. Took a guy in Chad Williams, who I think he was a lot lower on the board. They did obviously trade back for the third round pick. They were probably looking at a, a speedster, another type of a more Arians wide receiver. Ended up trading back because their board was pretty much empty but I think that you're right in that when they took him the whole idea was hey we'll kind of sit a guy for a year behind a veteran they had the same process with they had this with um even going back to 2014 Buchanan was probably originally not going to see the field and then they had a linebacker who went down due to Daryl Washington and all of a sudden he gets elevated in they kind of make it work and he ends up having you know a successful season everyone team scrambles to get a dollar linebacker 2015 they recognize we're not going to play DJ Humphreys we'll set him for a year we know that we've got Bobby Massey for this 2015 season at right tackle we know that we've got Jared Valdir signed at least to be able to go ahead and play at left tackle we signed him last year they knew that they had the unlock but they knew that Valdir was getting older in age and they knew that they were going to need you know a right tackle was going to leave after Bobby Massey signed for agency so they had this draft and develop mentality 2016 they're the same type of thing with a draft and develop mentality with Robert Kandichi because they knew Calais Campbell it's going to leave they need an impact player I still believe that Chris uh, I believe it was Chris well, was it Chris Smith I remember he's with the Kansas City Chiefs here at least I remember now at least but I believe that he was the guy who I think I would have at least probably taken overall just because he had the college production that you were looking for overall, whereas Kandichi was, again, more of a kind of development guy. Maybe they thought they could get that development out of him with that. I I think it was just kind of an area of that was really the first pick where you kind of swung or were hoping for something. He just did not work out in 2017. Injuries have also been a factor. And then, again, next year's that draft, again, you said they didn't, they wanted to compete now, brought in a linebacker. He did end up becoming a starter. I believe he had a Buda Baker forced to fumble. Reddick jumped on it in the Titans game. You thought that he was going to start improving. And then suddenly he just Josh Bynes starts taking his place, starts taking off. So I think that some of it is when we're talking about it is there's context that goes behind, but a lot of it is the Cardinals were in kind of this, hey, we've got this winning culture, this winning thing. We can draft and take players and develop. And I think that maybe some of it is the player themselves. There's nothing wrong with them. It was just the expectations, I think, that were put onto them has been a little bit higher than they can live up to. And I think that's been some of the issue that we had, especially with looking at this year and some of the previous drafts of, 
hey, you took Robert Kandichi. The first round, you expected him to be an impact player, maybe not a Pro Bowl guy, but a solid starter. I think that's the biggest question the Cardinals will have is they're going to have to try to see, are the Cardinals in a spot for next year? And just to kind of wrap up, at least for everything tonight, just looking at the rosters from year to year, I, I took a look at least just with the, the, the St. Louis Rams. If we talk about what happened with their turnaround, where it came from, look at what their starters were and it started really with rebuilding the entire offense at the wide receiver and offensive line position and that's great because that's exactly what I think the Cardinals are going to have to do I think the Cardinals will need to do you look at what they had in 2016 with Goff they had you know Greg Robinson who was a huge bust at least at left tackle they had Tim Barnes uh, nobody who's playing center and nobody in Cody Witchman at right guard Rob Havenstein was kind of the one solid player that they at least had with Roger Saffold being kind of their journeyman guard at least who would you know he's I think rated as a terrible tackle they moved him inside the guard he took off next year he got brought in a you know pro bowl tackle of Andrew Whitworth they traded and got John Sullivan, who is a strong tackle. They brought in a good guard like Andrew Blythe, and they rebuilt with looking at Robert Woods, traded from Buffalo at least. They brought in Brandon Cooks at a wide receiver. They you look at drafting a stud player who really fits the scheme well overall with um, uh, was his name? Cooper Cup at least. And then you have Todd Gurley, who you're featuring just as much in the passing game as you are in the run game. The Rams just devoted themselves to rebuilding the offensive line and rebuilding the wide receivers and the weapons and having a scheme and a coach that was offensive and a coach brought in the veteran defensive coordinator to make use of the talent on defense. And they were able to turn it around into something that looks like a multi-year, you know, perennial contender all built around the system of Sean McVay and a quarterback who can execute it in Jared Goff. So that kind of leads me to this last question here then. Do you believe that Steve Kine is going to be able to go into this offseason, be able to build with the cap space and being able to rebuild that offensive line and find the receivers for Josh Rosen to be able to be successful? Do I think Steve Kime can do that, Blake? Uh, I, I, you know what? I, I, uh, I think that it's it's going to come from a different, a lot of different ways. If he's going to be able to do that, I think they're going to have to get creative. Uh, and I think that, like the Chandler Jones acquisition, I could see a trade for uh, a veteran. You know center or, or a right tackle or an interior offensive lineman that would make a difference uh, because I think that he kind of is kind of married to Humphreys right now uh, and I think if Humphreys completes the season uh, and starts 16 games he'll he'll get an extension from the team uh, because I think he is improving and, uh, but I do I am confident in Kime addressing every area but the offensive line because he just hasn't been able to do it that's yeah. the only area so I think he Here's what I love about Steve that fans don't want to admit. He is he is aggressive in especially mm-hmm. in free agency. Like the Cardinals are able to get good players to come to Arizona. Where I had the biggest uh, you know issue with him was not being aggressive enough to get a franchise quarterback. But he's he's done that now. <laughs> and he's taking care of that now. Every other facet he's been able to to address needs. He's taking care of it. He's gotten players to come to Arizona for far less money, take one-year contracts. I would, I'm, you know, I would love to see how he would do with sixty million dollars in cap space and to go out and get young players to build around with Josh Rosen. I think he would do well um, because I think he's somebody who knows the value of certain free agents. Again, he, he's had his misses. No GM is perfect. I mean, like Belichick isn't perfect, and Andy Reid's not perfect. I mean, like I would rather him swing for the fences like he does 
If he gets burned, he gets burned. Then be like Green Bay, who can't get players to come play with Aaron Rodgers. Right. And they, and they rely so heavily on the draft. Like the Cardinals, since Kime came on board, they're active in, in free agency. I mean, like how many times have you have you heard that about this this team? And I think he'd be super aggressive now that he's got his quarterback in play. I mean, like I think all options would be on the t- table to get this team back to where it needs to go. And they, the, the best part about the NFL, I know the players hate it, rosters can be flipped so easily mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And that you've got Rosen, you've got this window, you can turn over this roster into anything you want it to be. But the key is some of them at some point have to pan out early on. Like mm-hmm. we talked about it going into this offseason, like Humphreys, Buchanan, or excuse me, Humphreys, Reddick, and Kimdichie, I said that he needs two of those players to be contributors moving forward, like good contributors for him to keep his job. I don't think we'll know that until 2019, mm-hmm. but I think that there is a good chance that happens. I think if Reddick is utilized effectively, I think he'd be, he can be a good NFL player, and I think DJ Humphreys can be a, a capable left tackle. Robert hasn't seen it enough consistently yet, uh, although he flashed again Sunday. Um, the Cardinals, to me, sure, they can turn this around. But, I, I mean, like, I don't know if it, if it can be with – I think Steve Wilkes is the biggest question mark to me. Yeah, definitely. Would uh, I would think that that would be the case as well. You know, it can be done. We've seen how the Colts, I know, are after all their offensive line problems, Andrew Luck has basically had, I think, the least amount of sacks in the NFL. They've, again, followed up with an offensive head coach in Frank Reich. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the stretch goes. And we'll have a lot more discussions, I know, at least going on next week, just breaking down the rest of the season. We'll also be talking a little bit of the draft. The Cardinals, at least, are still in line for a top five pick. A lot of different directions and areas they can go, especially if they do end up, you know, let's say that Patrick Peterson does get we got a lot we can get into at least for next week and then a lot more awesome breaking down of Byron left which is one of the most fantastic things was just seeing the amount of screen passes again seeing the Cardinals being able to kind of create space and seeing them ultimately being able to put the plays together to come out with a win to take hold of the game rather than give it away that'll be all of it for this week at least as we kind of wrap up John why don't you tell everyone where they can find you here on Twitter I am at Johnny's Football, uh, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football. Blake, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm at Blake Murphy 7 on Twitter, uh, writing also with at least one article or so, uh, probably about two or so a week at Revenge of the Birds. Got a lot of great changes and other stuff coming up for you guys. Um, thank you again always for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe as well on Stitcher Radio, always there on Blog Talk Radio. You can follow at Bird Game Blitz on Twitter as well. Uh, that'll have the past record of all of our shows are archived there for you as well as the pinned tweet. Thanks again for joining us. Have a good night. All right. Good stuff, man. I am free uh, later this week. If we want to do uh, some kind of reaction, if they, if they have a big move, I, I definitely want to get on and talk about it. Um, Cause I think it'd be great to get some kind of, even if we're on, even if we do like 20 or 30 minutes, um, but I mean, if it's minor, you know, that's, we can wait until the bye week preview, but, uh, I, I, I honestly do think something's going to happen tomorrow. I think he's going to make a move, a, a, like a, like a move for a, like a, a, a starter on offense. I don't think it's going to be defense because mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is what it is, but I think offensively, I think they're going to get him help. 
Yeah, we'll see what happens. I know that'll be the biggest question, obviously. It'll be just with um, Buchanan. A lot of people are running because he had 13 snaps in the previous four games, and all of a sudden he had, like, you know, played 60% of the snaps after playing, like, five. And so I just wonder if that was a bit of a bit of a showcase just before he's traded, at least, just to try to put that out there. And they just yep. go back to the 4-2-5. So we'll see. Have a good night, John. Thanks hey, for staying up. Take care. Sure. Hey, sports fans. Football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters. Regional grocery stores we love. Tennessee Batman. Homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.